0: Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, Susan Lesser, and today our guest is former A's starter and current A's broadcaster, Dallas Braden. Dallas will talk to us about the changes in broadcasting this year with the team on the road and the broadcasters at home and the production staff that makes it possible, plus a look at the team on the field and we will reminisce about the 10-year anniversary of his perfect game. Dallas, first of all, uh, let's talk a little bit about the strangeness of this season from a broadcast perspective. Uh, You obviously have, most of your career, you were a baseball player, but you've moved into broadcasting the last couple of years. I think everyone knows that you're kind of the man in the stands and also helping out in the booth the last couple of years. But this is strange for everybody. What's it been like for you in the broadcast booth in Oakland when the team is on the road
1: well that's been different that has been um if i'm being honest it was a uh, anxiety riddled anticipation i had no idea what was coming other than i'm going to be watching the game on a monitor and i'm not going to be seeing the game unfold on the field and if we're honest with ourselves i think that's kind of how each and every broadcaster has started Right. Because you've been watching the TV and you've been talking to yourself, uh, if you're me and or most of your friends about what's going on in that game right then and there. So really, in its rawest, purest form, it's like you're right back to when it all started. Oh, I could do this. Right. And you're having that conversation while you're drunk watching a game on TV. So this is a little different because, well, we're not intoxicated, um, but. It's kind of like right back to how things got going in the very beginning. So um, it's weird. I actually uh, the other day there was a <clears throat> there was a pitching change, and I was watching the game, and I looked to the side of the monitor as to look out on the field in Oakland to look at the pitcher that was running in. Well, Dallas there's nobody down there buddy because they're in Arlington and that's just a tarp on the field so what the hell are you looking for uh that's 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 happened and I've talked to a lot of broadcasters across the game and they're like oh yeah that was like you know 10 minutes into the first game I did remotely so everybody across the game is experiencing a a new way to bring the game to the fans at home and you're going to have some hurdles, but it's, it's nothing. And, and I said this yesterday. Let's not get it twisted one minute. I am as lucky as anybody on earth to be in that position where we're trying new things, anything and everything we can to get the game to the fans who deserve it. So, uh, I'm, I'm willing, quite literally, Susan, I'm willing to sit out in the middle of an empty baseball stadium, uh, amidst a global pandemic. Wearing a mask while broadcasting a game, I will do that to make sure Oakland A's fans can get
0: baseball. You are such a martyr. Um, what, what do you feel like you're, you're missing? What what sort of things without a live game in front of you? Is it is it mostly like defensive positioning, being able to see what's happening in the bullpen and dugouts? What what do you feel like is is really the lack? Uh,
1: th- that's where it is. Is the the sight of the game, the feel of the game as a whole. And especially for me when I am positioned down by home plate, because now in these times I can hear everything just like the players can hear everything. And so that has been an incredible seat to have during this time, because all of the conversations that I know go on, that I was a part of as a player, I, I can still hear a little bit of every now and then with fans in the stands. But now, with nobody there, and there's an opinion from the dugout making its way to home plate, well, I hear every bit of that. And now I hear every bit of the umpire's response. And so I can hear all of those little conversations that we kind of have to turn the microphone off for so that the fans at home don't hear all that. I'm getting every bit of that, and it's great. But that's what you're missing is is the fan energy that creates a flow to the game is, is what I think is the biggest miss because, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I said this and I've actually done, I've done a uh, video series with the soundboard operators, but I talked about missing out on the energy that is created in a ballpark by the triple, you know, guy yeah. hits a ball into the gap and the, the fans are starting to scream because mm-hmm. they can, they can see what's about to unfold. He gets to second base and right before he hits it, you know, fans start to start to really mount this wave of excitement because they know he's not at the ball yet. He's about to hit second. That means he's going to third. And now in between second and third, the crowd is at its peak. And when he gets to third, the safer out call is made and you hear a, a boost and just a burst of booze and or uh applause and, there's no other energy like that, and that's just gone, yeah and, and, and that hurts.
0: yeah, yeah. How, how are your sound guys handling that? Like you know how do you calibrate, say, um, for something like that when you know it, usually you kind of think of piped in sound, right? It can't exactly respond in real right. time to what's happening on the field. But honestly, listening to your broadcasts, it seems like've they've, they've done a pretty decent job of doing so.
1: So, so stay tuned because I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but we don't have a lot of the resources we had, you know, or we would have in a regular season, but I've gone through a video. I've gone through a breakdown of this and I've got it on video and you guys will see it very soon of how these soundboard operators have to anticipate the movements of the players. They have to anticipate the hit and what it looks like. And that's not easily done. Um, You know, you think about a double play ball and a runner on first base and how that unfolds, what the sounds of that are like. But now think about a soundboard operator have to being able to differentiate whether or not that ball today that's hit up the middle is going to be gathered by Marcus Simeon and flipped over to Tony Kemp for a double play because the crowd reacts differently when that happens. So they've got a board full of buttons that they could hit in anticipation of a play, so the cheering and the noise coincides. But then at the end of the play, you have to remember, they have to hit all those buttons and take all of those applause sounds off as well in a timely fashion so you feel like people are getting excited at the beginning of the play, are appreciating the play, and then that leveling off of their applause. Those are all three different buttons, and you have to be on it if you want to have any sort of semblance of a, of a natural broadcast. So that's why I jokingly said at the very beginning of this season, when we started talking about sound getting piped in, I said it first one, the soundboard operators of America are this nation's backbone yeah. during this time right now. You they know? are They're your and
0: MVP right now in the booth for
1: sure. So much so Susan, that during this series, With the Texas Rangers, while we're in Arlington, the first game, I did with zero crowd noise in my ear. So imagine calling a game and just putting on, like, noise-canceling headphones and calling a game like that.
0: Oh, it sounds so dead, so flat. There's nothing, nothing
1: whatsoever. Like, you're hearing your own thoughts (laughs) bounce around in your brain, and there ain't much going on upstairs for me, so that's a lot of ting.
0: Yeah, that's a bad, no. that's a bad thing for you, for sure. <laughs> not Don't leave me to my own thoughts in the middle of a
1: ball game. That's not safe. Uh, but I actually had them the next two games. I said, I can't, I can't do that. Whatever sound you've got there, pipe it into my headset. Let's go.
0: God, that's so smart. Yeah, it's tricky. Like you said, it likes to take a double play. You also can't anticipate what's going to happen on the back end. Hey, the runner might be safe. Are you the home team? Are you the visiting team? What's the different reaction for something like that? What if there's an error on the play?
1: Right. Big strikeouts, you know, like those are a a strikeout in the seventh inning with runners on second and third with less than two outs. That sounds a heck of a lot different than the first strikeout of an inning in the second
0: inning. Right. Right. And depending and on so, which ballpark you're in,
1: you got it. And so, uh, and, and again, a tip of the cap to the A's production crew because what they've been able to do is adapt sounds from the horns, sounds from the drums, the vuvuzelas, all of that, all of the sounds that are endemic to the Oakland A's fan experience at the Coliseum. That is what A's fans are treated to on the broadcast. And while there might be other sounds that are, are endemic to ballparks across the game. Nothing is like the Coliseum and nobody is doing it the way that the A's production staff is. So I promise you when I tell you after watching other games on TV and consuming their products, this is the best and the most realistic explanation uh, or, or experience that the fans can receive across baseball, and they're they're getting it as A's
0: fans. I, t- I totally agree. you you've, you guys have always had pretty much the best production truck in in baseball, and I got to tell you, I am so impressed this year with the A's production. Staff started with Amelia Schimmel and then Amelia, you know, kind of makes me chuckle because she's got this great production staff and, you know, they're dealing with all the stuff the rest of everybody else in the ballpark is all the safety protocols and they've got to be careful and everybody's separated. Nobody's operating as usual. You know, they're not crowded into one booth and able to check in with each other quite as well. But then Amelia said, you know, hey, I was the only one who really wasn't doing anything. So that's how she winds up with the PA duties and she's killing it. She's fantastic. Oh, it's,
1: it's awesome. I know I've given her I've given her a bunch of grief about that. I go, is that is that how you do this? You just you literally laid around up there and, and did nothing. So people had to find something for you to do. And oh, well, I guess nobody's on the PA. Oh, well, how about that? Amelia? No, she is. She is absolutely nailed it. And you're right for somebody who has just kind of been thrust into that position to not only embrace it, but continue to do her job in other fashions and still serve in that role in the capacity that she has done. Uh, it's, it's, it's really made watching games and listening to games when the team has been on the road, it has made that experience what it is for fans. So appreciate the players on the field, first and foremost, and we want to thank you for hanging out and, and watching the ball game with us fans. But those are the people the Amelia Schimmels and her crew, those are the people that are responsible for you enjoying watching baseball this season under these
0: circumstances. Absolutely. I don't think people understand in general how much goes on behind the scenes at a baseball game. I knew, during your play, playing days, did you realize that there was so much work behind the scenes between TV production and uh, stadium ops and stadium production crews?
1: Um, I mean, not to, not to downplay it, but, but yes, I did just because I think I had done I, I was I was always one you know hey if you needed a quote you wanted to talk or whatever I, I was there and that kind of leads you into other experiences where production teams are trying new things and you know so you know on on media day digital headshot day and all that jazz you, you do you get a sense of what goes into just having your face up on the screen <laughs> before you throw your first pitch of the outing that day you know and I, and not to get off topic here from baseball but if you've watched any football games you realize that none of those player introductions you know oh i'm from stag high school stockton california uh well that's not happening this year and that's because they weren't able to get into camp and get those little snippets to mm-hmm. give the fans and so it's it's completely it's it's a, it's a different world and once you've understood how much goes into it that's where the appreciation comes from you know you understand people are there Eight, nine hours before first pitch, and that's it. That's to make sure the graphics are right. That's to make sure that the sound is coming through, that all of the camera angles you would want are covered to the best of their ability. And and that's all that all – that I just think about a group of people sitting in a production truck, putting their heads together, thinking about how they can make what's about to be put on television – the best possible thing they can do for a large group of people whom they will never meet. And that's the fans.
0: (laughs) That's, That's very well said. Yeah, well, you could teach a class now in, in TV production and stadium production. Um, let's talk about baseball. In fact, uh, you know, obviously, this is a season like no other, um, very shortened, and the A's had to deal with a quarantine interruption after a positive COVID test, and it, it's just a, a whole lot of very unusual moving parts. What do you think of the team on the field? Craziness aside, with the season, what what I don't think
1: any of us have really talked about and I'm sure there's reasons <clears throat> is how the A's have done what they've done at less than full strength the entire season. And when I say less than full strength, I start with a guy who I, I feel like <clears throat> at times is tiptoed around, but let's be honest. What Chris Davis has meant to this ball club over the recent history is n- nothing short of uh Integral. I, I, I don't know if there's a word that you can throw out there. I'm sure there is, uh, to, to really describe how important he has been to this lineup where other folks are trying to find their way. Katie's popping 40. Other folks have taken a state step back and trying to figure out adjustments. Katie is popping 40. And he's doing that year after year after year. And then all of a sudden the injury trying to battle through some things not being able to make the adjustments as quickly as he would like to. And it it just kind of, kind of takes a back seat and other folks start to step up. And now you're out to the biggest division lead in baseball. And it's been with Chris Davis having played roughly half of the games. I think that the Oakland A's have played been in the lineup for, for a little over half of those games, I think. So, this has all been getting done without the usual cast of characters producing the way that the usual cast has produced, and you're not going to have a Matt Chapman. We know that Chad Pinder down and out right now, but up until this point, you've had some guys that have needed to make adjustments, and it seems like seems like the bullpen has said, "All right, we understand kind of what's going on rotation. You guys are going to figure some things out. Looks like we've got to get our lineup healthy." We're going to figure out how some guys that are plugged in are, are going to be able to adjust. We'll just not allow anything to happen for a few months and you guys go ahead and figure that out. Okay. And, and they've been very fortunate that that's been the case um, because, you know, the, the team's done a good job of acknowledging that they've, they've needed help in some other areas. All of the, the La Stella acquisition, the minor acquisition to navigate these double dip waters. We're going to be coming through here. And, and so, that's the one thing that that still leaves me, I, I don't even know if optimistic is the right word, I think that still leaves me excited is because we've still got a couple weeks left, and that for me is a time period where we get healthy, and we start to iron some things out in that starting rotation as as we've seen recently, and now you hit the ground in October healthy and hot, and, and that is where I would like to see the open A's end up.
0: Yeah, Can can this team, though, can they advance in the postseason without Matt Chapman and with Chris Davis either not getting a lot of playing time or, or potentially not as effective as in previous years?
1: Well, if we're being honest, that's where the road gets a little tougher is because it was going to be about a guy like Matt Chapman being able to take his offensive game to the next level without the support of a 40-plus homer type of season from Chris Davis in this shortened season. But as we've started to see, KD started to work some walks. He started to drive the ball the other way when he's making contact, which is a good sign. Um, But, yeah, if you don't have him, Chris Davis, as right as he can be, and you now don't have the Matt Chapman over at third base, not only defensively, but what he could do offensively when he starts to get hot, you start to realize that things could be looking a little differently, how you're going to produce those runs, because those are two swings in a lineup that can change the game. And one of those swings just will not be there no matter what. And the other one, it's, it's a work in progress right now. So when you're talking about how much success you're going to have in the postseason, we're talking about teams who for the most part are going to have those guys in their lineup that are feeling good, that are confident, that are comfortable, that are healthy. And if you're the A's, that might not just be your situation come October.
0: We'll be back in just a moment with more with Dallas Braden. For more A's coverage, go to sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe to the Chronicle, go to sfchronicle.com pod. You obviously were a pitcher. Uh, Pitching expert, I would, I would, uh, I think let's, it's fair to say. Appreciate that. How do you see? Well, you know, such as it is. (laughs) How do you see the rotation right now? Obviously, I think you know, early in the season, Mike Fires and Sean Mania were underperforming. Some Uh, Fires is kind of always a little bit of a slow starter as it is, Uh, and they seem like they've picked up the pace quite a lot here. But Frankie Montas is the guy who's maybe not been quite as sharp as, as he was initially. And, and, you know,
1: you, you think back to the Frankie Montas off season where he was just blowing a hundred miles an hour in like February. And, and you were just like, Oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be incredible. I can't wait for this. Well, obviously it took a while to get that ramping up officially. And then we have a lull and, where I've got the starting rotation right now is is kind of why I said starting to figure their stuff out is because there were some guys and you just mentioned their names, Mania and Fires, experiencing some struggles. You know, Mania, early part of the ball game was great, and innings three, four, five, and so on became a little bit, a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a mystery. Same thing for Fires, and you with the layoff, you saw Mania come back, dial up ninety five, so the rest helped him. And that probably injected a lot of confidence in him because although it's not going to be 94, 95, maybe next time out, it is going to be 90, 93 when he needs to. And that's enough to get you mentally back in a space that tells you, "I oh, that's right. I remember what I'm doing here. I'm dominating. Here we go. And now Shamanaya is not second guessing himself. He just looked a tick slow, as I said earlier in the season, just like, arm-wise, body movement-wise, reaction-wise, everything was just kind of underwater. And that's not the case anymore. Um, Frankie Montas is a guy you want to see turn it around, Susan, because when you get into the postseason, you think about swing and miss, the ability to, for the guy on the mound to start dominating a lineup because heightened sense of awareness in this postseason, contact becomes a, a focal point. And if you don't have the ability to dial up a swing and miss in a leverage situation, well, there's more pressure added to what you're doing, so that's why you want to see Frankie Montas start to figure stuff out because he's got the ability to to, to miss bats at a high level, but it, it just doesn't feel like right now he's able to finish that outing without that one mistake that that gets capitalized on, um, and and really, Lazardo, that's a guy I, I don't want to call it a. A coin flip, because you can get, and, and and I mean this, you can get eight innings of two-hit, punch out baseball from Lazardo. Or you could get a laborious four-and-two-thirds, five-inning outing where there's some free passes and there's just a struggle to put guys away. And it's honestly, I, I think, because at times his stuff is so good that he's able to just kind of throw to the plate and and the movement at times kind of takes him out of the strike zone and it's about harnessing that stuff. But what that kid has the ability to do paired with with again with what Mania is doing, with what Chris Bassett has done, that that's why the optimism is there because these are guys that that have started to make these little adjustments you want to see heading heading down the
0: stretch. Yeah, I mean, Lazardo's just a ridiculous talent. He's a very social awesome. talent. But to me, the guy, you look at him and talk about a guy who sometimes looks like he's really laboring, Chris Bassett, he's been the most consistent guy of the bunch. I mean, he has just been a rock. Uh, and we all kind of know the story, I think, at this point. He was kind of the yo-yo guy up and down, uh, mm-hmm. was in and out of the bullpen, didn't like it a lot, took a while to adjust to that. He's turned into such a reliable presence, a team leader, a uh, guy who's not afraid to speak his mind, um, or he actually, except for he's right-handed, it reminds me a little bit personality-wise of you, Dallas.
1: <laughs> well, he, he, is, uh, he is a little bit of a goofball. I appreciate Bassett very much. And that's a matter of, and you said something that is, that is the key component to the evolution of Chris Bassett, and that's him not being comfortable with the situation he was in, being that yo-yo, being that swing man, and I know what that's like. And and there is there's a, a like a come to Jesus moment you have to have with yourself that that you say, look, I'm either going to be a part of the bullpen or I'm going to just make it so damn hard on them that they have to keep me in the starting rotation. That's my only option here. And that is what Chris Bassett has done. He's just given them no other option other than to involve him in the rotation plans, not only now, but I think moving forward. And he is somebody who cares a lot about why he's having the success he's having. He's not satisfied with the end result. And I'll just see if four days from now, that's not how he wants to go about his business. He wants to know why he's having success in certain areas. And that in my mind has been a huge reason as to why Chris Bassett has been able to make the adjustments he's made. He's curious and he's not just resting on the success. He's working at it. You watch him work at the slider, you watch him work with his fastball command in, in his uh, days in between. And, and I, I'm seeing and witnessing that effort being put in.
0: Yeah, He's, he's a sharp cookie. I, I see a good broadcasting career in his future as well. So if you're the A's Dallas, who do you pick to start first in a, in a series, um, particularly you know, once you get into series that might be, you know, five game series, seven game series, and, and maybe could pitch multiple times. I think at this point, I don't want to say you have to go with a hot hand, but there's still going to be
1: some time to see who has put together, I think, you know, two, three good starts before you, before you tab that man. Uh, I think with the way that Sean Maniah has thrown the ball recently, he's put himself in that conversation. But again, Susan, if a guy like Frankie Montas finishes the year with two really good outings, and you start to see the flash of the command of the secondary stuff, and you see the confidence, then you have to consider that guy. Because to your point, if he's going to be ran out there, and again, the first series is going to be a three-game set. So which three arms do we want to run out there in a row to give us the best chance? Uh, I'm thinking more in a extended series, as you said, who's a guy that might pitch once or multiple times, in order to do that, you got to be the first game. So I, I again, Frankie Montas is probably somebody that you think about, but there's no reason that if a guy like Chris Bassett continues to pitch the way he has, that he is not a viable option. And that's, that's a good problem. I think for Bob Melvin to have to be in a position where you're waiting to see how three guys in your rotation start to pitch down the stretch to see which one really puts themselves in a position to tell you that they're going to be starting that all-important Game 1, as opposed to having maybe one guy down there who's definitely your go-to, and then some questions after that. I feel like Bob Melvin is in a good spot where there could be some performances that dictate themselves as to how that could unfold.
0: Exactly. And, you know, as they, they learn who their opponent potentially might be, you could maybe figure right. things out based on the opponent. Although, you know, the fact this year that it's been interdivision only in the American League, I think that complicates it a little bit. You know, they haven't seen the Yankees. They haven't seen the Indians. They haven't seen the Rays. So um, well, that's can,
1: where that's that, that's where now you wouldn't it? imagine this, Susan. Imagine if teams had, say, I don't know. Older individuals who had been around the game for years and years and years, <laughs> and like were trained in the art of evaluating uh, players and, and how they perform. I don't know if they've had a word for it or not. Huh, guys who've uh, seen like maybe
0: you know, thousands and thousands of baseball games and evaluated talent for a long time, right? And it's like you know, uh, like
1: when you're like going to hunt animals, you you uh, am I saying this word right? You scout. Out Scouts. Scout. Yeah. So scouts. like if you were thinking about getting into the postseason and uh here's another thing, yeah, like an advanced approach to winning a baseball game, I would have some guys, I would have those uh funny, those funny scout guys, I would have some <laughs> advanced scout guys go and you know watch the baseball games and then tell me how good those guys are and what do they do really good. Man, I feel like a group of those people could be in valuable to an organization especially in a time like this
0: totally agree uh you preach into the choir here i love the scouts pretty much more than i love anyone else in baseball and, and i miss them i miss them I, a little weird that they're not allowing scouts into ballparks and you know some teams have cut back almost entirely on their pro scouting departments during the pandemic uh for financial reasons but uh these ballparks are wide open and I know they wanted to keep the number to right around 200, maybe a little less than 200 for safety reasons, but you know, it seems to me like you could let in five or 10 scouts. We usually don't see more than that anyway, because there's, there's plenty of room. Um, yeah, there would be, but, there would be ways around that.
1: Or not. I don't want to say around that. There would be ways to absolutely get that done. No problem. I mean, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> each and every team has made sure that they've got their social media staff, all covered and taken care of, because where would we be without pictures of ball bags on the ground? But yeah, no scouts.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's some of the decision-making has been a little strange, but there's definitely room for five or 10 scouts. That's all I'm saying for sure. Uh, and you know, these are, it's not like these are some like yahoos who are going to run around and be dangerous or something. These are all. No, I mean, if we're being persons. honest,
1: right. These are responsible people. And, and, I love scouts too, but they're human beings. And uh at, at times they don't make the best life decisions when it comes to how to eat, maybe how to, how to sleep and take care of themselves. They'd, they'd much rather drive 16 hours and catch the last inning of a kid throwing 96 in God knows where USA, than take care of themselves. So these are also probably people with some comorbidities, right? And, and they just, they would be of the utmost care and the utmost diligence to make sure that they're doing the job that they've done their entire life, yep,
0: yep. I'm with you on that one real quick Ace bullpen dallas uh that obviously i their strength this year It's it's we've talked about this so many times it's hard to project bullpens from year to year, but uh what's your overall impression on what they've been able to do this year?
1: Well, my biggest question was going to be i think twofold, which was. What does Lou Trevino look like this year? And what does the Lou Trevino 2.0 look like this year? What does that mean? Well, 19, a little bit of a step back from what Lou Trevino put together in 2018, one of the most dominant bullpen runs that we've seen in recent memory, especially with the tag team that him and Blake Trinan provided. So when you see the struggles that Lou experienced last year, Not only do you feel terrible for him because you know what that man is capable of, but you do take a step back and start to think, what's this bullpen look like? If that guy who was so reliable in all of those scenarios isn't that guy anymore, well, we 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 need a that guy. So who's it going to be? And JB Wendelkin was somebody who I was high on last year and before because I felt like even with that big breaking ball he had, if he was able to tighten that up just a touch, maybe a little harder and, and really start to pitch out of the bullpen instead of throw out of the bullpen, he was going to be a big part of allowing Lou to find himself. And I think something like that is exactly what's happened. And let's not, excuse me, let's not discredit what the veterans in that bullpen have done. That's one of the keys is, is, you need some guys down there to stabilize any sort of growing pains that might occur from a Lutravino looking to recapture the magic. Well, all Jake Geekman has done has gone out and shut up the entire league. Everybody. Just stop it. When Jake Geekman takes the round, it's over. Same thing it feels like for Soria as well. These are guys who have just quietly and very efficiently – Gone about keeping the ball game right where it's at, giving the team the chance to come back late. And, and without that kind of presence down there, there's no chance the A's are where they're at right now. I mean, well, Liam Hendricks was a reliever of the month in the month of August, I believe, right? Yep. 11, 11 at 11 in, in save opportunities. I mean, the emergence, the, uh, it, it is, in my opinion, a continued emergence for that guy because we're we're not far off from that guy being told to go away. It's incredible
0: to me. He's and, the, he's the A's MVP. And honestly, I've been asking people about this for a story I'll write at some point, but I think he should be considered in both the Cy Young and MVP races for what he's done for this team.
1: I mean, it's it, it, it when you, and, and sure we value, there's no doubt that we value what he has done and, and probably have a good reason to do so maybe more than some other folks, but it's because we understand just how, important it has been for the A's to be able to just sort of at times go all right well, rumbling bumbling stumbling falling scrape my knee get me to the ninth inning and we'll be okay and and that's what Liam Hendricks has represented
0: Yeah, it's it's really astonishing I I mean the bullpen is just it's saved their bacon it's really been the difference I think in the American
1: and guys like McFarland TJ McFarland I mean what a ridiculous run he was on at the very beginning of the year as well still throwing the ball well there's 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 really nobody down there that you're looking at going, well, you know, if, if we could avoid him, if we, if we don't need to get him in right now, like there, there's just, there's nobody down there.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Now Dallas, before we go, we have to talk very quickly about uh this is the 10 year anniversary this year of your perfect game. You and I spoke for a, Couple of stories. Well, I wound up, I feel like I wound up writing four or five stories, in fact, about your perfect game because there were so many angles. I'm still learning new things about the crazy stuff that happened in and around your perfect game. It it just, it was magical, as we all know um, from start to finish. Uh, But some of it was, I think my favorite story now that I've heard, and there's been so many, uh, is Landon Powell running into A Rod. On the trip that you sent Landon and his wife on after the perfect game, that offseason. And he runs oh. into A-Rod on a deserted beach in Hawaii somewhere. How, how great is that? I mean, that was
1: when, when Landon, <laughs> and he did, he called me and was like, bro, you have no idea who I just saw. Like, <laughs> And I'm, I'm like, first of all, I was like, where are you? And he was like, we're in Hawaii. Guys, you remember the trip you bought me and my wife? Yeah, we're in Hawaii. We took our family. He's, oh yeah, cool. Uh, what's going on? Well, I was on this hike and like I see this dude like tucked off in the side. I, I, it looked like he was eating lunch, like just sitting on a rock. And it was a Rod, and he was like, "Oh, what are you doing out here?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> Dallas Braden sent me out here on a trip for throwing the perfect game." <laughs> and like, like just the fact that, <laughs> like, what do you think about that? That was the last. First of all, that was the last person that A. Rod thought he was going to see anywhere <laughs> on an island was going to be the Oakland A's catcher. Well, there he was in all his glory, and then the last conversation you think you're going to have is about me, a guy who, like, like I said, I'm still I'm on nobody's radar. I should I'm not on his radar. I shouldn't be anyway. And here he is now. He's going to be forced to talk about me for seven seconds on his vacation, and I'm just. I can only imagine what his face must have looked like and <laughs> what the tone of his voice must have been just reacting to that. Like, oh, wow. Okay. And we're going to talk about that again. All right. That's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it was hilarious because Landon actually did, uh, <laughs> did send me a picture and it's of A-Rod, like, <laughs> It's hilarious. He's like mid bite, like leaning over a bowl of food, like 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 paparazzi caught him. Like ah, <laughs> oh it's oh it's pure comedy, oh, pure comedy.
0: It's just amazing. It's really amazing. Um, I is there? Can you even like pick out a favorite memory from that day? I and we all immediately go to the the hug with your grandma Peggy Lindsay, and what a special moment that was. But what to you was there something specifically crazy about that day that you really remember?
1: No, um, n- nothing, nothing too crazy, you know. Um, and and what's cool is my my grandma has kind of been more, she's been more talkative about that day recently. Um, and I I think maybe it's because people are reaching out to her about ten years, and I mean she's like her own star in her own right when it comes to celebrating that day, which is really awesome because. She has. She has taken it on like this is her day. And it is. It absolutely is. And that's really cool to watch is because she gets excited for Mother's Day to come around again. And we didn't have that for a very, very, very long time. And now it's something that she's been excited about that she's, you know, she gets dressed up for and she's so beautiful. And, and she's so cute all at the same time. So when I see, when I see her smile and she's typically wearing a beautiful spring dress, I, I, I just know what's going on in her mind. I know what's going on in her heart and her heart is full and is as full as it can be knowing that we don't have my mom here with us, but knowing we get to smile today because of w- what we have going on for us. So that, that. That has been the, that has been the coolest thing. And, and I, I think back to that day and at the end of all the, you know, all the madness at home, we're eating pizza and my, my grandma just kind of on, on the way out of the house, you know, going home to her house, she didn't give me a big hug and a big kiss. And, uh, you know, it was just a couple pats on the back and a good boy. Aww. And, and that meant, that meant more than any like long embrace and tear shed and like that 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 was just that was because that's her right that that's how she behaves in her just when oh man it's almost tough to talk but that that's just that's how she processes things
0: oh that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you also told me this year it broke a story ten years late. You you told me that you were pitching with a little bit of a hangover that day, which
1: a little bit, a little bit. Hey, it is it is what it is, you know. And and, and I said I said before, you know, I, I I probably didn't make too much of it, and I didn't I didn't really say anything at the time because I was still very aware that I mean, first of all, those kids are in college. And they, I, I, I know that they looked up to me, you know, but they're friends of mine now. And I, I just thought at that moment in time, what, what am I doing if I'm glorifying that yeah. to these guys? And, and, and that might not be the best example because tomorrow, and, and they did, you know, the next day they are at their barbecues and they're talking about how. My God, you should have seen the dude last night. (laughs) For him to be out on the mound right now is a fucking miracle. And the fact that what just happened happened is even, even more unexplainable. So, but I I just didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to wear that around as a badge of honor because I felt, I felt bad that I was doing what I was doing the night before, but I had explained everything that, you know, and those guys knew me. They knew my history. They're, They're my friends. They know what that night was like they they felt that emotion they were there with me right that's you know? a bit always we're been getting... a tough time for you right and, and 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 they got it and that was just something that was a you know in, in Stockton playing baseball in the baseball community there I, I guess that's a story that you know may, maybe you're kind of aware of and so they knew and me being out at practice when Ed Sprague was their head coach at the time that's you know also something you got to remember uh I I was I was woven into that program so I, you know, I'm the guy out there writing out their throwing programs for them, helping their pitching coach watch their bullpens. I'm playing catch with these guys. And, and so it, it wasn't just one ball player in the big leagues hanging out with some college players. These are kids that I had invested my time in and was working with and wanted to see go on and do great things. And a lot of them have. And so we get to share that memory now. It means what it means to us today and it's it's kind of cool that that came out because uh, a couple of them have been like I almost felt bad like telling people that you know you were housed the night before because I didn't want people to think that you were just some asshole who didn't care about what was going on because that was couldn't be further from the truth so it was kind of nice that they felt like All right, now we can tell everybody what an animal you are because now we don't feel bad about it, you know.
0: Yeah, and to to be clear, I'm sure you are not um, saying this is like probably the recommended way to go out and pitch again. No, no,
1: no, 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 not at all. Trust me, that's just me battling demons. That was me dealing with demons. That's not how you want to go about your first big league start. That's not how you want to go about your first start before the postseason. No, I, I, I feel like doing your homework, getting some good rest, having a good dinner, car blowed, that's probably a better way to go.
0: Probably now. a better way to go. Although, you know, you always do hear guys say a lot of times, and at the, I'm talking about athletes in, uh, you know, every sport, they'll say sometimes when you don't feel your best, you actually play better. I think it's something about you, you don't overthink things or, you know, whatever. Yes. You know, you're you, you, you feel so you, bad you're thinking about that. You
1: take yourself, well, I, I chalk it up to, and I always say this, I, I, and I and I tell this to guys, take yourself out of the equation. Because oftentimes, en route to where we want to go, we are our own biggest hurdle. So get out of your own way. Take yourself out of the equation, and you're gonna see how 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 smoothly this goes. Because you've done the work. You've put that work in, you have invested. So Get out of your own way now all right and and let's just let's do what we do quit overthinking this you weren't overthinking when you were running your one hundredth sprint up the sand dunes all right that's not what you were doing then you were dog tired you were beat to hell and you knew you just needed to get from a to b so you've put that work in let's just get from a to b ball in your hand ball to the glove go to work quit making it so hard yeah
0: well overthinking is something we are not ever going to um uh, say say about you. <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty simple. But we this is one of the reasons we love having you on A's Plus. Dallas Braden, thanks for so much for joining us, and we will be listening to you and watching you the rest of the way.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Susan. Always fun.
0: Our thanks again to Dallas Braden for joining us on A's Plus. You can find him on Twitter, at DallasBraden209. Our producers today are G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening.